Welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. And I'm Karen. We are a mother-daughter duo of mediums, medical intuitives, psychics, and energy healers offering personal sessions to clients all over the world. And this is our podcast. Coffee with the Sarlows is a platform to share the remarkable experiences of our clients and the messages that are channeled for them from the spirit world. These stories will make you laugh, some will make you cry, and some are certain to be an absolute butt-kicking with love. Our intent for this podcast is to gently and kindly challenge your belief systems, grow your empathy, and help you find pieces of your own self in each one of these individuals' stories. Karen, before we get into today's show, let's start things off with show notes. Yes, Kelly and I have personal practices channeling for local and international clients. If the stories in these shows is something you'd like to experience, you can request your own personal session through our website, bysarlo.com, or email us at info at We also have gift certificates available if you wish to gift this experience to someone anywhere in the world. We have a second podcast series called Sips of Sanity. This series is your emotional and intuitive intelligence toolkit. We pick one topic every month and provide you with healthy tools for critical thinking and communication. This series airs the first week of every month. The first show in every series is free and can be found on our website, your favorite podcast platform, or YouTube. The remaining four shows can be found at patreon.com forward slash by Sarlo. Patreon is our membership portal with a ton of monthly benefits for those of you seeking to grow your emotional and intuitive intelligence. Karen has a personal blog that explores the beauty and importance of intuitive gifts. There is a question and answer segment that addresses listeners' questions. As we mentioned, you can find the complete Sips of Sanity series here along with handy habit trackers and great reflective questions to help you get the most from the shows. We provide you with guided journeys and music to enrich that experience, and we're running an emotionally intelligent, interactive book club. And for the patrons in our top tier, we're giving away a free half-hour channeling session with one of us every month. If you're interested in joining us, head over to patreon.com forward slash by Sarlo. Now on to today's show. So Karen, what are we talking about today? Um, this is a client story, and it's a female that um, called in for her appointment. So what do you want to name her? Lucinda. Oh my goodness. Not a clue where that came from. Okay. Um, and Lucinda is asking for medium at the beginning of her session, and she wants to connect to her parents. And her dad steps forward, so what do you want to call him? Joe. Okay. So I had to go Italian. I don't know. Oh, okay. Jeez, Joe? Yeah, I think of that in so many nationalities. I was going to go with Joey, but it sounds young. Okay. Joseph. Joseph and Lucinda. So Joseph uh, approaches, and she. I asked her for clarity. I said, do you need anything in particular from your dad? So... Sometimes that's asked if you have a particular question or like, I want to know if they're just giving me permission to go wide open to anything he wants to say. And that's really where their heart space is. Can I explain this for a second? Yeah. I think maybe perhaps people haven't thought of it this way before. You know, if you walk up to a good friend of yours, you can start a conversation by being like, hey, what's up? And you're open to hearing anything about their life. Or you can walk up to your friend and be like, hey, I have a question for you. Mm. And that's the difference in the session. 
Yeah. Because sometimes you're really just truly happy to hear anything they want to tell you or share with you. And sometimes you need answers. Mm-hmm. So I asked her that. And she said, oh, I think I'm just going to go open. She says, um, you can just tell me anything my dad wants to say. Now, I'm going to say that this woman looks to be like in her late 50s. So that's going to tell me that not like not when he's died or how old he was when he died, but just that now she's got in terms in her mind that he would be like in his 70s or whatever. But that doesn't mean that that's how he shows up for us. So he comes in and he's very young. And he shows me like dark brown, black hair, really close to black. And he purposely shows me how thick it is and wavy. And he says, um, and he just shows me his hair. And he goes, here, you can start with this. So, <laughs> okay. I said, that's interesting, but you know, that's fine. That's one of the gifts is being able to see things. So I said, well, the very first thing that your dad does is he shows me his hair and she just kind of smirks. And I said, it's very dark. It looks black. And I said, but it's actually like a really dark brown, close to black. And I said, and it's thick. He's got a good, good head of hair. Like a Patrick Dempsey head of hair? Yes. <laughs> I said, he's got a good head of hair. And I said, and it's, it's wavy. And she's, you can see that she's waiting for more information. Just to say it's brown hair was like, okay, I'll give you a 50. <laughs> and then I said, it's thick. And it's like, okay, that describes a little bit more. I'll give you a 70. And then I describe it as wavy. And she's like, yeah, okay, now you get 90. I'm never going to give you 100, though. And I'm like, oh, my God. This is fun. <laughs> yes, this is going to be one of those sessions. <laughs> but And this, this is just from how her looks are and her mannerisms and what the synesthesia is giving me. As you can feel her getting a little like, oh, she's giving me more, oh, she's giving me more kind of thing. And then her dad goes, well, he goes, this is going to be a rough session like this. And I thought, okay, what are you switching to then? Because this gave her like a 90. And I said, three things about your hair. <laughs> so what's happening? And he goes, I don't want to do this. And I said, oh, okay, well, she said open. So go for it, Joseph. Like, this is all up to you. And he goes, not really. He goes, she's saying that. But this is her behavior, is that she will say things like that, like her, her partner or boyfriend could say to her, what do you want to do on the weekend? And she'll say, oh, I'm easy, whatever you want. But if they don't guess what she wants, they're 50. <laughs> and if they do just what they want, because eventually that's what they're going to do. I mean, given week after week, month after month, year after year, that wears on you that you have to guess what your partner wants to do all the time. And then eventually you figure out by their behavior that they're actually grading you whether you're meeting their needs or not, but they won't tell you. This is fun. Right? Yeah. So he says, well, this is her behavior. And I said, this sucks. <laughs> he goes, it does, but I'm the reason. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, you tell me whatever you want, Joseph, and I'm going to just download on her. So I said, you go right ahead, say everything you want. And he goes, well, first of all, he says she has um, more brothers and sisters. She's not alone. And she's going to want you to verify different things for her for accuracy as what you and Kelly would refer to as the hard facts. 
So he said, I died before her mom, hard fact, like that. And so I, I, I doodled a couple of them on the page and I said, okay, those are the hard facts. What do you want to say that's soft? And he says, well, he says, hard fact, I was really religious. And I said, okay, what does that mean? What does that actually mean, Joseph? And he goes, well, you know, like you, you do your weekly thing. You go to your meetings. And I went, your meetings? And he goes, yeah, you could say my meetings, which I think is really interesting because other people might say church. I also think it's funny that he said weekly and some will be like, it's not religious. <laughs> it's all of this is, oh my God, Kelly, there's just so much to unpack here. So he goes, well, I went to my weekly meetings and he's like kind of giggling at the fact that he calls them a meeting mm-hmm. as opposed to I'm going to church or I'm going to this building mm-hmm. with my people that all agree. He calls them meetings now. Yeah, there was no community. No. So he goes, you can, you can just write down that I went to my weekly meetings and we'll cover that. And he says, um, you know, when I read the book, but he doesn't say which book. So I don't know if it's the Quran or if it's the Bible or if it's a yogi book. Like I don't, I don't know where he's going. He just goes, he's, he's general, but I actually like what he's done. Because I think anybody even listening to the story could be engaged and go, what religion is this guy? Like, and, you, and you can start going into your head as to, well, if there's a book in weekly meetings, <laughs> he's this, he's this, he's that, Right. But you can't really, because so many of them do this. But underneath it all, he says, I wasn't authentic about anything. It was all for the show. And I don't just mean for the human show. And I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, the just in case this heaven thing is real. Yeah. I have to pay my dues. Yeah. To say, see, my time, my time card is stamped. Oh, and it, you're really going to hear this. So he goes, well... He goes, in the home, he says, I, I talked about and I repeated what was said and I preached it. And he says, but, and he says, and I said, I love you. And he says, and I said how important a family is and a family is the rock of the community. And he says, I really said the words. And he said, but I, I didn't behave that way. And he says, so I'm here today just to acknowledge it first. He says, so I just need to tell her that since I've died, he goes, which is four years ago. So another fact I just put down on the fact side. He says that I'm, since I've crossed over, he goes, I realize, I, I've come to realize that it was just really a game. He says it really was like a board game. That I was just going around collecting my $200 $200 rolling the dice, getting to the next thing that said, do this. And I did that. I said that. I went to that meeting. I donated this amount of money. When that group at the meeting said, increase it, I increased it appropriately. He says, and I did, I did my things. And he said, but in the home, he said, I hit my kids. Mm. And he goes, but you know, no, no worse than anybody else. He goes, like, I spanked them. He says, like, I slapped them up the head. He goes, sometimes I gave them an elbow when I was walking by. He says, but nothing, nothing serious, nothing children's aid would ever come to the door for. And I said to him, Joseph, how would you know? Also, maybe back then. Oh, yeah. So there, 
we have to remember now how old he is. So he's assuming, first of all, there's no children's aid way back, way back, way back, right? This group comes along to monitor the abuse in people's lives. And he's like, mm, you know, nobody was, nobody was going to report me after the fact. Like by the time these groups came out, my kids were older, right? So when you're in your 20s and 30s, you're not going up to children's aid or up to a group or up to a lawyer and saying, my dad hit me back when I was a kid. We all went through that. You just kind of get over that shit. And he says, so, you know, that allowed me to know that I got away with it. So as adults then, so now they're in their 20s, their 30s, and so on and so on. And you're now talking to my daughter and she's like, you know, late 50s. And I just died four years ago. So even up to her mid 50s, I still was ignorant. I still um, criticized her, put her down, trivialized her, dismissed her. He goes, I did all kinds of things that were verbally abusive to her and all her brothers and sisters. And above all, I did it a lot to their mother in front of them. And he says, and I wasn't nice. I would walk past my wife in the kitchen and just give her a shoulder and just walk right past her and say, get out of the way. You're in my way. Like, he says, like, I, ju I just did all kinds of things. He says, I didn't take, like, a bat and hit anybody, though. Nice qualifier. Oh, yeah. And, and so always in his life, there is a qualifier to say to the kids, well, you could have it worse. At least I don't hit you with a bat. I don't hit you with a belt. For the third time, I will say, this is fun. Yeah. So he, he's on the other side, and he, he now has to see with clarity, mm -hmm. with integrity, what his intention was. The intention was to get away with everything. The intention was not to love or to parent or to partner or to collaborate. It was to get away with whatever I wanted. And then he goes to his meetings because at his meetings, he's allowed to be able to um, look, good. look good to other people. And so he says, I need to come through and tell Lucinda today that I did all of this stuff knowingly what I was doing. And I, so I said, okay, give me a moment and I'm going, to, I'm going to tell her all of this stuff. So I did. And for the most part, she won't even look at me. For the most part, she keeps her head averted down to the side. And, and I mean, every once in a while, she'll come back and look at the camera. So I know she knows where I am. I know she knows where the camera is because some people don't. I know it's 2021, but we're in a pandemic and there are a lot of people who don't know technology. Mm -hmm. And so they literally, or they might have a couple of devices the way their kids have set it up. And so they're looking down over here and then they don't realize that the cameras are actually over here. But I do see with her that she does understand where the camera is and that she's choosing to look in different places for whatever reason she has. So she just look, looks at me and she goes, um, I really love my dad. She goes, I miss him and I talk to him. And, you know, I, like I wonder, like, can you prove that, I, that he listens to me? And he goes, she's diverting. And I said, I know. I said, how's that for you? And he goes, well, I guess it's what happens when you abuse somebody. He goes, so this is her behavior. She diverts. And I said, absolutely. And he goes, so what I've learned on the other side is that when you treat your children this way and you treat their mother this way, 
that they learn their own abuse, they self-abuse, and they end up abusing other people, and she may not even realize that she's doing that. And I said, that's right. And he goes, so I'm also learning that my parents did this to me, and it's what I did to my kids. It's a pattern that just keeps repeating of this abuse. And I went, yeah. And he said, well, I know better now. And you and I, as mediums, call that dead dad. Mm -hmm. Dead dad knows better. Alive dad might have to some degree, to a huge degree, to no degree. That there's different degree, degrees of this because it's a, it's a whole lifetime. And there are moments where they completely know it. They might watch a TV program because, you know, he did die like in 2018 or so. There are programs that are explaining this shit now and that he would know better. And that the pattern would be there, but he would choose to stay in it. So in his lifetime, there are periods where there was no awareness. There is awareness. And he has to make that choice to go back and live the way he did when there was no awareness, but now knowing it and purposely denying it. And he goes, so you referred to me as dead dad. And I said, yeah, I do. He goes, you'll have to explain dead dad, alive dad to her because she's just going to get off this phone call and dismiss everything you've said. Because this doesn't make any sense to her that her dad would understand any of this. She doesn't even want to believe that I did. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting that from her behavior. And I said, I'm also understanding that what you created, he goes, I know what it is. I know what it is. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> I said, okay. He goes, I created cognitive dissonance in all of my children. He said, I know what I did. He says, I created it in my wife. And he said, and the thing, a horrible thing is, is that when you have a baby, you have a blank canvas. They don't come with cognitive dissonance. You have to put it in them. And he said, the sad thing is, is that my wife did not grow up this way. And I have seen on the other side that I created the cognitive dissonance in her. She wasn't raised in the same religion as me. She wasn't raised in any religion. She did not grow up with parents that treated her this way. And I said to him, well, Joseph, then why did she stay with you if she didn't grow up in that? He goes, because I isolated her. He said, I took her away from her parents. I purposely took a job in a different city so she wouldn't be able to be near them. I isolated her from her friends. And even when she did speak to them on the phone and she would explain something to them about my behavior and they would say, sweetheart, you know better. You know that's not healthy. We didn't raise you this way. He said, then I would just go at her. So every time she'd have her Sunday phone calls with her family, I made sure that I was not at my meeting that I was at home so that I could be in the room that she was in so that I could hear the conversation and I would know how to come at her right after she hung up that phone. This is calculated. Oh, yeah. That's why I'm saying there, there's, there, there are calculations here. And so I have to point this out to Lucinda and say, no, your dad understood what he was doing. And she was like, no, no, he was just raised like that. He had a really bad upbringing. And I was like, yes, but 
This is how he behaved every Sunday morning when your mom had her phone call with her parents and her siblings on the phone. He hung around in the same room. And she was like, yeah. And I said, he never wanted to talk to them. It wasn't because he was waiting for his turn. Yeah, that's true. He, he didn't. She talked to her parents. He never once said hello to his in-laws or his like sisters-in-law or brothers-in-law. That's true. Mom had the conversations. We didn't. And dad didn't. That's true. And I said, well, no, he didn't want to have to answer to them. So she sits there and she goes, hmm. And then you can see where it's like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to think about that. And I said, Lucinda, when your dad comes through and points these behaviors out to you, he's trying to indicate the exact moment of the dissonance. He's trying to show you when he took an opportunity or where he saw one was presenting itself so he could get in in that exact moment and create it. So when your mom got off the phone where she got clarity, he had to make sure that he treated her in certain ways and each of you. Like he might go at the kids instead of going directly at her. So that while she's on the phone, he's slapping one of the kids or he's picking on one of them or he's gaslighting one of them and she's trying to talk to her family, but she's got to pay attention to what her husband's doing. So he knows that as she's coming into a moment of clarity, he's got to go, whoops, and he's got to suck her in. He's got to pull her back into the family unit of the one that he's created with her to say, no, you stay here. And so he gives these examples to her specifically of when he did these things, of where he made promises or said, I love you, let's do this together and then totally crashes that and says, I never said that, or I'm not doing that, or what, like where they have that moment of, but you said you loved me, and if I did all these things, you would do something together as a family, and then he, he just goes, no, I'm going to my meeting. No, I'm going here, I'm going there. And his religious commitments grew so that he had a reason to get out of the house when he didn't want to stay and actually have to watch what his dissonance created. So if that means that the kids then all started fighting amongst each other, boom, his head would blow up. And it was like, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going to another meeting. And it was like, but you went to one this morning. You were gone an hour and a half. And he'd go, well, yeah, I joined a group. I'm going into, and I'm, you know, they're having this meeting about this or this committee, or I'm doing some volunteer work. So out he would go, and he would go to these, uh, these other events because it meant that I could have fun there. People thanked me. You're such a great guy for coming out. And he got the buildup in the ego and could avoid what, his, what he had created within the children and how they now start interacting with each other and where some of these children end up with learning disabilities with where some of these children end up with emotional challenges, where the school system says they have this issue. There are outbursts or whatever it is. I relayed all that information just the way that Joseph says it to give it to Lucinda so that she can place where her and her siblings get into fights and arguments 
And if she can, how do you word that, Kelly? To give it some understanding or some context. If she chooses to place it. But she has a habit of dismissing things. So this might be a big challenge. Then her dad says, do you think we could move to when I die? And I went, you do anything you want. She says, go open. So he says, well, he says, when I was dying, I was sick. He says, I didn't die quickly. I had time. He says, as luck would have it, this is how he words it. As luck would have it, the universe gives me time so that I have time to think about my life. I have time to think about my death. I didn't have a heart attack and drop. I didn't get hit by a truck. I didn't fall in an airplane. He says, I got an illness where I had time. It gave me an opportunity, or it was supposed to give me an opportunity to think about my life and to think about what I believe. And he says, so, he says, before my death, he says, my children all came around. And he said, I, I want to go back to that period of time because I realize now since I am dead dad that all of my children showed up expecting something. And he says, so they came to see me to tell me that they love me. And he says, I ate all that up. Oh, they love me. I was a son of a bitch to them, but they loved me. <laughs> Meaning I got away with it all. So then he tells one of the home care workers what he needs. And close to the day of his death, he doesn't tell me if it's exactly the same day or the day before, I don't know, but it's in a very close period of time. His, I don't, again, I'm trying to stay out of one particular religion. The leader of the meeting comes to his house at his, at his bequest and tells him that his sins are forgiven. And tells him and gives him this rite of passage through death. You're fine. You can go now. Off you go. You have the right to die. You have the right to get in. Your sins are all forgiven. You get to go into your new location. So is this what he asked the health care provider for? He needed his... He wanted this person, the leader of the right. meeting, to come in and tell him that whatever he had done in his life, all the shitty things he had done were all, okay, it was all good, it was all fine. But remember now, this is what he's been told by the leader of this meeting his entire life. Mm -hmm. So he thinks, okay, good, I'm good to go. Great, thanks so much for that. I did show up every week. It's paid off. I've paid you with money. This is awesome. Thank you. And dies. And so his children are around there waiting they, they, they want to show him how much they love him in spite of this whole shitty life that he's, he's been around for. They're waiting. And I said, ah, Lucinda. I said, I know what you're here for. And she goes, yeah, what's that? I said, you asked for your dad in an open session because you were hoping that your dad was going to come through and finally give you the acknowledgement of all the abuse and the apology. And she went, there it is. She goes, I'm waiting for the apology. And I said, yeah. I said, do you have any idea that right around the last couple of days when your dad passed, that every single one of you and your siblings showed up and that you all showed up to tell him how much you love him? And she went, yeah, we were all there. Like we all told him. And I said, and you guys repeated it over and over again. Dad, we love you. And you were crying and he just soaked it all in. But each of you was waiting to hear 
that he loved you. Never said it. And I said, you were waiting to hear that he was sorry. Never said it. And she goes, yeah. She goes, and I want to know why. And so finally, here's what she's really looked for, what she really wanted, but said open. And I said, well, he just didn't feel he had to give you an apology. The leader of the meeting came in and told him that all his sins were forgiven. He didn't have to apologize for anything. Well, not to mention he didn't love you. Yeah. So I said those two things. He didn't say, I love you, when all of you had said that you loved him. He never acknowledged anything back, which he had never done your entire life, which is the cognitive dissonance. Can I, I don't know if this is appropriate, so you can just say, Mm -hmm. no, we're not going in that direction. Part of the question when someone asks, why, why didn't I get my apology? Mm. Like, this is not blaming the victim. I'm trying to point out different responsibilities in Mm. the situation. You enabled him his entire life. At no point did mm-hmm. Lucinda actually, or any of his uh, the siblings, pardon me, approach him and say, your behavior is not okay. I demand you know healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tolerate this. And so to show up and people please the shit out of him your entire life and on his deathbed to say, dad, I love you. It's okay. I love you. But secretly you're standing there saying, oh, is the apology coming? Um, am I going to get that apology I really need? They go to the same meetings as him. Uh, yeah, I get that. Which is going to explain to people why they keep showing up. Oh, yeah, and probably don't feel like they have a right to set a boundary. That's correct. Obey thy parents. I'm just trying. You're pointing out the meeting reason that mm-hmm. that we answer the question why she didn't get what she needed. I'm trying to point out the mm-hmm. human behavior reason You did not get what you needed. Perfect. Yep. So then he says, I'm here today. He says to acknowledge what I did as a live dad from dead dad's point of view, because I'm not allowed to get away with it anymore. Mm -hmm. Nobody's enabling me on the other side. Turns out my sins weren't absolved. Turns out I went back to school to get my shit straightened out. Exactly. And he goes, so... This is not going to sound right because she's going to have this belief according to the meetings that all sins are forgiven type of thing. And I'm not, I'm not supposed to have to look back and understand any of the lessons. I'm just in bliss. So she's, she's here to also ask, is my dad happy? Mm. And he says, you can explain what happy means. Happy means understanding. Happy means accountable. Happy means taking your understandings with your accountability and showing up today to say to her, I'm sorry that there is regret here, there is remorse, that I actually can show up in my daughter's life and offer an opportunity for clarity, for the truth, which I never gave her right to the moment that I died. I was all about what was said in the meetings and what I bought into there because it allowed me to do whatever I wanted in my own little castle, my own little home, like my own little kingdom. So 
this took some time in her session because she could not understand how her dad could have any of this level of awareness. And you could also see where she was struggling through the whole hour in order to wrap her own head around that when all she wanted was, can't he just tell me he loves me? Can't he just explain? But she needs the explanation that will be still in alignment with what she learns at the meetings. So if there's anything outside of that, including good, healthy psychology, good, healthy emotional intelligence or intellectual intelligence, that's outside of what's taught in the meeting. So you can see that she's sitting there and I said, you know, Lucinda, I know that you're struggling because if you want to go back to those meetings and you want to be able to have your own moment of death like your dad where everything is just going to be forgiven in the very last second, that you have to start looking at your own behavior with your own children, your own partners, your own, your own life, where you hold on to some of the very same beliefs and patterns that your dad did. And she just went, oh. Well, you have to shut down thinking critically, Yeah, which she's done. Yeah, that's correct. And you and you she's also shut down her own ability to apologize. She's been through several marriages, which that's not a complaint or a judgment. That's just the fact that the guides come in and say that she's been through several several marriages and also several partners outside of marriage, so many relationships, and has never taken her own responsibility as to these are my behaviors. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that shuts down if I don't get what I want. It, like she's, she does quite a bit of the same things that her dad does, but because, and I'm going to say this, and I know people will judge me, but it's not, it's not my statement. She does a lot of this out of the space of being a woman, thinking that she can get away with some of it because it's not quite the same as her dad. She doesn't hit. She does it in more verbal abuse ways. Mm-hmm. She doesn't walk up and give anybody the elbow. She just feels that if she does that, one of these men's going to stand up and give it right back. Right. So it's underground aggression. You got it. And so to her, she wouldn't even see that she's as bad as her dad. She would think that she's better than him. Because as you said, her abuse is underground stuff. But she's basically living the same kind of lifestyle that he's living with the same type of of beliefs that at the end, Mm -hmm. same story, I get to die I get to be told, and she doesn't realize that this is exactly what her dad did when he called in the leader of the meeting. It was to say, you're going to tell me I don't have to apologize to those seven kids that are hovering over there, over my dying body, that all want, I love you from daddy. I'm not doing that. I haven't done it my whole life, as if I'm going to start now. Or, I'm so sorry. I'm not sorry. So, like, she thinks that because it's death... There's going to be this great big ah, moment where he's just going to all of a sudden, oh, the fear of whatever the leader of the meetings kind of thing is going to come in and, you know, really put him in his place now. And they're all waiting for it. And of course, it never happens because there's an outdoor, there's a back door. And he went out it. And so she says, you know, this is not what I was expecting in this session. I'm having so many problems with my brothers and sisters. I thought my dad was going to come in today to tell me how to solve all these things. I was not expecting to hear this kind of talk. 
Well, mm. Mm-hmm. you said open, little <laughs> lady. And, and as you said, Kelly, that's exactly what I said to her. I said, well, I said, this is on you, not on your dad. She goes, well, no, I didn't think so. I thought it was on you. She goes, you're the medium. And I went, well, then clearly you don't know what a medium is if you think it's on me to begin with. Mm-hmm. Because clearly you don't understand that I don't know you. And not only that, never mind I don't know you, I literally have nothing to say. From Kelly or Karen as a person, I have nothing to say to you. (laughs) I literally only have the words that your dad gives me or whoever it is you're wanting to be called in to speak. And if you're not asking a fucking question, why would they, like, why would they do that? They've got their own agenda. Yeah. And met, like and you know people do this in friendships, relationships, etc, which we're hearing she she did in her marriages. Mm-hmm. If you walk up to a friend and say, "Hey, let's go for coffee. How are you?" And at the end of it, you're like, "Okay, see you later." And you get in your car and you're like, "Well, fuck her. She didn't invite me to dinner on Saturday." Pardon? <laughs> that wasn't even brought up. That wasn't even on the table. You never asked about Saturday or dinner. Like these two things don't yet go together. How Mm -hmm. was that friend supposed to know that that was the conversation you were looking for when you offered a coffee date? Mm -hmm. Yep. Patterns. Patterns of miscommunication. I don't know. I'd call it miscommunication. Okay. Lack of communication. That's all I meant. So I no think skills. I would just go with abuse. Right. Okay. It's it's so many things. It's mm-hmm. a lack of process in, in your thinking. I say not miscommunication because if I said something to you, oh, I like, yeah. oh, I'm 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 heading. I don't want to use the word meeting. I'm heading out to an appointment at two thirty, uh, and you're like, okay, have fun. And I'm like, oh no, sorry, I was looking for a ride. Well, I'm I'm miscommunicating or I didn't I didn't give you the full story. If I'm just literally not saying anything to you about my appointment, about the car, etc. Right. This isn't miscommunication. You yeah. didn't screw anything up. Yeah. It's a lack of. And and it's a purposeful lack of with intention. 100%. Yeah. Which is abuse. Yes. And it it's this self-saboteur coming in to destroy the possibility of anything that could be healthy. And I think it's a very uh, important distinction to make because there are people in relationships who will say, oh, sorry, it was just a miscommunication. No, you abused me. That's not a miscommunication. I fully understand what just happened here. Yeah. Very good. Big breath. (laughs) For for me? Yes. (laughs) Well, great Saturday. I, I think for everybody. I think just saying big breath, if somebody just was sitting at home on a Saturday morning, did Parker Parker just just took took it? it? (laughs) That's good, Parker. Um, I just say big breath because you've educated us. So big breath just to take that in, or as a reminder for people who do know it. Um, Clearly she does not. And clearly at some points here, she has no intention. Mm Mm-hmm. It is obvious that she is here to have her father apologize to her, to have her father, I'll say finally give the apology that he wouldn't give when he was dead or when he was dying, pardon me. And he does come through 
to finally give that apology, but he backs it up with all of the truth. Mm -hmm. He backs it up by telling her that his intention all along was to look good at the meetings, that it was to be able to have, to go to those, to have the past ticket when he died. Like he purposely lived out a life based on what they said at those meetings and how you play the board game. Well, parts, parts of what were said at that meeting. Right. And, and how you get out at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So at the end, when you're coming around to the, you know, to the finish, this is all you have to do is call the leader of the meeting. We're going to say some magic words, which really that's what they are, magic words. And everybody knows there are no such things as magic words, but they're going to say magic words. And he's got the belief that those words are going to absolve him of everything when he crosses to the other side and leaves all those little human beings here on earth that he's never cared a fuck about anyway. Right from the get-go. So you see here very clearly the intention and the way that he lived his entire life and the very importance of why those meetings are every week. Because if you go maybe a week without going, you might slide out of that reality and into a healthier one. And they can't have that, so you've got to keep going frequently. So I'm going to say... It's funny. It's the same reason I book people every two weeks for coaching so they don't slip out into an unhealthy habit and that we're we're infusing the good skills for for critical thinking. Yes. And it works both ways. And and this is exactly why people stay in coaching or you need to see healthy friends and you book them in on a regular basis Mm -hmm. or your senior psychiatrist or your psychotherapist or yeah, you go to the gym. Oh my God. If I didn't notice in two months in the middle of COVID where I stopped lifting weights, holy crap. Holy, that was very French of you. You just totally left the H out. Mm -hmm. You said, holy crap. Oh, a little bit of your mother there. Yeah, that was. That's good. <laughs> Thanks. That's funny. Um, but I sure noticed after I didn't go to my lifting weight or my, my meetings, meetings for two months that my muscles weren't there. Mm-hmm. And I, how much I had to go right back to the very beginning weights of the two and the three and the five pounds and build all over again. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for repetition. And it means healthiness just as much as it can mean staying in something that's unhealthy. And I know for a fact, if I look around North America, how embedded people are in their commitment to being unhealthy mm-hmm. and their commitment to making their, their weekly meetings. I, and you know what? You've said this in a multitude of ways. Uh, one of those weekly meetings is DVR with something like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Oh, I'm God, committed yeah. to not thinking. I'm committed to yeah. um, looking at this like it's funny and entertaining and mm-hmm. not wildly hurtful and inappropriate. Yeah. Unethical, un- immoral. Maury Povich. Yeah. Jerry Springer. Yeah. Absolutely. There's Oh, my God. There's all kinds of things that they, whatever their weekly meeting is. Mm-hmm. Um, however you want to word that. And I wanted to word it that way instead of saying a particular this religion, that religion, because I really wanted people to sit back and understand that your meetings can be religions, but they, the, but for a lot of people, they're TV. And, and it could be or, your friend group that you brunch with. Yes, where you go once a week or whatever your regular thing is, where you all complain about 
whatever. You all complain about the job, but don't do anything about it. Or yeah, you gossip or whatever it is that you participate in that's unhealthy Mm -hmm. in any way can be referred to as your meeting. And I, and I wanted to word it that way so that it could include every listener. And, and so that the people who say, well, I'm not religious, I don't go to any fucking church, don't just then dismiss the idea that, oh, that's for those suckers, not me. But you're the one sitting in front of the video game. Mm-hmm. And it could be that you have a meeting every freaking day. Or that your church is the grocery store that you go to every week and fill your cart up with absolute shit. Oh, what a, yeah. and, and commit over and over again to, I'm going to put this in my body. I know what I'm doing, but I'm going to keep putting this in my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's a great example, Kelly. We could go on and on. Um, so I'm um, just to end this particular session with this lady. It doesn't end well. <laughs> I'm just going to get right I to the point. I <laughs> feel like people could have bet on that. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm going to say this is where it was highly unsatisfying for her father. And I'm going to start there because this was all on him. Mm-hmm. She came and said, open, and he is the star of the show for the hour. And he came forth with this beautiful script from the, from the other side where he worked hard to say, I finally did my work, Karen. I f- look, 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 I understand everything I did. I went to these things and this is where I got fucked up. And then, and then I did this to my wife and I did this to my kids. It's like a puzzle all coming together. Yeah. And so he's worked really hard to say, okay, my daughter's booking an appointment with a medium. It's on this day, this time I'm showing up with my spirit guides. They're holding me accountable. I'm holding me accountable. I'm going to try and set something right by saying the truth for the first time for my daughter. Let her take that recording and share it with her siblings. And there's no way. There's no way. She doesn't, she doesn't want to do any of that. She doesn't want to have to do any of that work. She wanted him to give other kinds of answers to fix the problem. But like, what it color? was literally the very thing that would have fixed it when yeah. she said, I was hoping he was going to come through and tell me how to fix my relationships. What the fuck do you need to be hit on the head with? Well, she didn't want that. She wanted to know how to get the van over to so-and-so's driveway. She wanted to know how to pay this bill for this, grand, this one of his grandkids. She wanted to know, how do I get money? How do I, if I can just get money, then how can I solve all the problems for my brothers and sisters? I need money and I don't have it. So how am I going to get it? He's got to tell me how I'm going to get it. Okay. Also did not come up. Just saying. No, oh, I, me too. Yeah. Yeah, you're bringing up a brand new concept in at the over halfway mark, where she's saying, "Well, I, I actually wanted to figure out how to get money." Yep, and and I looked at her like, "Are you you're kidding me?" And and I and I always have this moment when a client does this, when I think about psychiatrists or any kind of a therapist, social worker, anybody. <laughs> that has a booked hour with a client and says, so tell me what brings you here today? And they talk all about their cat. And then at the end of the hour, the last minute, they say, oh, and by the way, my, my son was diagnosed with uh, leukemia. And the therapist goes, all right then. Guess we'll try again next guess, week. Yeah, I guess we'll bring that up the next time if you book another appointment. Yeah. And chances are you're not because you didn't get any of your needs, Matt. So, okay, I guess maybe bye. 
I bet you MDs could say the same thing where they yes. come in and they're like, oh, I kind of have some a headache or I kind of have a little bit of a, um, a rash here. And you don't tell them about the fucking lump that you can feel <laughs> on the side, yeah. you know? And the doctor's like, how did, the, how did that not come up? Yeah. Or the chest pain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way. Oh, you're having trouble swallowing. Interesting. Probably would have started with that. Yeah. Yes, I imagine that there are many people in different jobs that could say, oh my God, yes. How about when they order a meal, know exactly what's in it because they were reading the menu. I deliver it to them and then they tell me they're allergic to the peppers. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I've seen it in people who are hired for a labor intensive job. Oh yeah. And they're like, okay, great. Here for my first day. By the way, here's my doctor's note that says I can't lift more than 10 pounds. And the person's like, what the fuck? Yeah. When you interviewed for the job, we talked about what was expected of you. L- lifting. Everything's over 10 pounds. <laughs> yes. And they're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, now you're stuck with me. <laughs> and and it, that's what I mean about the cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Because you have to have some serious fucking cognitive dissonance to show up at a job where they're telling you that you have to lift every day or, or at least more than 10 pounds. And you sit there and disassociate so hardcore that you then take that job, show up for it, get dressed and showered and put your makeup on or your boots and go to work and then tell them that like you never heard it. Oh, also completely fucking them over. All of it. I'm saying there's some serious dissonance occurring in there. I am saying the same thing. Yeah. So end of session means that this client is looking at me and I said, you know, you do know we've spent an hour and that I've checked in several times and I pull the form up and I show her my page with all my check-ins, all my ticks. I even wrote the time down and she's just sitting there like, whatever. So my response back was, I just said to her, dad, I'm really sorry. We gave it our best shot today. You did a great job. You worked really hard. Your spirit guides worked really hard. Her guides are working hard. Mine are working hard. You're still welcome to come happy dance in my kitchen. Yes. You and I can celebrate what you've done. Let her do her own work. Mm -hmm. And that really is the point. Let her do her own work. I'm not here to do it for her. All I can do is deliver the messages. Mm -hmm. And all her dad can do is give them with the openness and honesty and the integrity he now has. That's it. And I'm done. Well, I think I've said this on many occasions. She's lucky she called you. <laughs> Whether she feels that way or not. Yeah, she does she, not. She That's fine. She may have <laughs> called another medium who may have said less, may have stuck to the brown wavy hair, May have said more, um, but mm-hmm. she, you know, may have given her exactly what she internally wanted, and never would have had to learn the lesson about communication. Never would have had to learn the lesson mm-hmm. about cognitive dissonance, and I think mm-hmm. that would have done a disservice to her. That was the biggest thing that he was trying to explain was the cause of what had happened to him, how he lived that his entire life and enjoyed it to a very high degree, and then created that for his entire family Mm -hmm. who are now suffering with it. Now, as much as he enjoyed it, he suffered with it as well. But he's here now trying to say, I get it. 
And she's just like, get what? I don't really care. I don't care to get it. And there, and there again, no desire or maybe ability or a combination of both to even explore compassion. Mm, right. For herself or him. Like problem solving and being personally responsible for their own situations instead of avoiding all of the lessons. Exactly. And, and all of the uncomfortable emotions that come with learning life lessons. Oh, God. Well said. But her purpose, she thinks her purpose then is just to get in and get the money to be able to run around to each of the siblings to solve and all the grandkids, just to solve all the problems that are going to make everybody happy in a moment. And not actually contribute to a foundation of a relationship. You got it. And we're done. Well, kudos to your hard work as well. Thank you. You know, Kelly, it's, it's hard work for you and I in, on many levels. And it's, it's also difficult to try and put a session like this, or a lot of the sessions together, into a story that makes sense for the clients. Because quite often during the sessions, this is all in pieces. Mm -hmm. And we have to place things because a lot of times the clients don't really want us to know all this stuff. They want control. The dead person wants to come through and deliver the truth, and here's what I've learned. That's what they're about. When you call a medium, hopefully, hopefully, if you've got some uh, in, uh, intelligence about you, is that you're there to figure out what the truth is. But I'm learning from a lot of human beings that they must be watching a lot of mediums on TV or reading books, or I don't know what they're doing, where they're getting their resources where those types of sessions are just what we call flashy. I don't know that I would label it intelligence. I think if you don't have an understanding of what the other side goes through, which the average person absolutely does not, right? then you're approaching a medium because you have a need. Not necessarily for the truth, but to help me with my grief or to affirm that they're mm -hmm. not as far away as my meeting keeps telling me they are. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. think that a lot of people approach a medium thinking, what is the other person learning and going through? To the extent that they, pardon me, they mm -hmm. can extend themselves to the extent of, are they okay? Are they happy? Are they out of pain? But I don't mm -hmm. actually genuinely hear someone know enough to ask a question, have they learned their lessons? Very well Have they done. changed? Yeah. And that's why I think that for so many people, while it annoys or bothers us um, to, to do the hair stuff or the eye color stuff, it's their way of just being like, is, is something on the other side real? Yeah. And it's a place to start um, to believe in something different that doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily yet shatter the, what the meeting is telling them. Right. Yes, because that meeting is very heavy. Yeah, and ingrained. Yeah. So, and I, and that's why I just said, like, I don't think I would call it intelligence. Fair. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like how you've described that. Yeah, it's gentle. It, it's truthful. It's kind. It's compassionate. If I and, and I'll I'll liken it to to a completely other situation. If I sat down with a scientist, I would have no problem saying to them. I'm really curious, but I, I don't know what questions to ask you. I, I have no idea even where to start with questions, mm -hmm. but I would not internalize that and deem myself unintelligent. Fair. 
Okay. That's, that's a great example. I love it. Cool. Well, thank you for today's show and story. You're very welcome. If you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at No matter where you've tuned in from, thank you for joining us. Please make sure to subscribe and join us next Saturday for a brand new show.